This past September, Tim and Terry Eagle dove out of an airplane. So where were you and why in the world were you? <laughs> so what happened? All right, so we went to um, Hawaii to celebrate our 30th anniversary in September. Yep. And so we thought we'd kill ourselves, so we jumped out. <laughs> so skydiving has always been something that I've wanted to do ever since I was in college. And Terry has always said, no, you don't have enough insurance. And so uh, I've always, I haven't been able to do that. But this time we said, hey, let's do something different. <laughs> what does it say that she was willing for you to do it now? <laughs> I hadn't thought of After that. 30 years. Yeah. Okay. She's tired of me? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Our children are going on their own. Okay. Yeah, they're good now. They're good. So uh, we decided this time we'd do something different and skydive over the island of Kauai. And so we went and we signed up. We went there and... You made these arrangements before you went to Kauai. <laughs> no, actually I just uh, looked on the website to see what the outfit was all about. They basically said, just show up. Show up one morning, call us beforehand to make sure we have a slot open, show up, and then we'll go through all the rest when you're there. So that's what we did. The second morning we were there, we went and showed up. So what do you do? You show up at an airfield, I assume. You show up at an airfield, you meet everybody, then you walk in and they make you sign. Unbelievable (laughs) the number of documents you have to sign. Documents legally saying that they are not responsible for anything that they do wrong in case you die. (laughs) And every page had death, death, (laughs) death. You know that you are putting your life in danger. Okay, so you go up in a little plane. Mm -hmm. A little plane. Like a Cessna, there were a, se- a modified Cessna. Like there was the pilot and four people, the two instructors and Tim and I, and we were crammed in there. Yeah, yeah, in the back. Yep. So do they give you? Do you see like a video, or do they give you some preparation for this? <laughs> we we got to watch. Right? The, I mean, we got to watch the people in front of us land. <laughs> yeah. And that really that's it. I mean, there's no instructions or anything. Well, um, they they come and they verbally tell you, okay, here's what you need to do. If you know, if if I do this, put your head back. If if I tap you on the shoulder, pull your arms back. Those kinds of simple instructions, I guess, to get out of their way more than anything else. But it wasn't like, okay, here's what's going to happen, and they take you through the scenario of of all of that. It's just here's a few simple instructions. Just listen to me when we go up there, and then. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. So we had no idea what exactly we were getting into and what exactly it meant or how we were going to feel, but we knew kept, what we wanted to do. They kept telling us it was going to okay. be awesome. Yeah, that we was did. a word they used. I didn't intend to do this at this point, but think about for a second. So we've been for, today is week seven, that we've been doing a series of lessons that we're calling All In. And the first couple of weeks we showed this pic. That's Terry. We showed this picture of Terry mid-flight as an illustration, a visual illustration of being all in. Think about the spiritual implications of what Tim and Terry just shared. I mean, basically, they're given enough instructions to get themselves out of the way because they're not the expert. Today, this is our last lesson in being all in, and today what we're saying is, You know, kind of the last key to being all in is following. Following. Because we're not the expert, even concerning our own lives. We're not the expert. So you get up in the airplane, 
You're ready for this giddy up. We it's still don't know what's gonna, what it's going to be like. I mean, you kind of know, but you don't know. So okay. what happens? She went first, by the way. She went first. So in case oh, yeah. something goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what do you mean you went first? So you. So I was placed by the door with my yes. guy. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you mean with your guy? Well, you're in tandem with the instructor. So, so in tandem is what? He's a strap to my back. So, I mean, so you're, like, you're, you're, if I die, he dies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you're so close. I mean, they pull you tight in, and you're so close, you can hear the guy's heartbeat. I'll it's that guarantee close. you, if Jesus had known about skydiving, he would have used this as an illustration, don't you think? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, strapped so close, you're not going to die without him dying. I mean, it, anyway, go ahead. This is better than I thought. All right, so... <laughs> You get strapped up to your in tandem with this you're person. In, tandem. So, in the plane. But I'm wanting to be really strapped up, right? You're really strapped up. Yeah. yeah. Really. And I think it's a false sense of um, security because you <clears> kind of <throat> know, hey, we're going to go jump out of a plane, but you don't really get it. And so you're in the back of the Cessna and you have these windows and you're seeing the plane and you see the island underneath you and you see and this beautiful. great view and it's like you're in an airplane <clears> or a helicopter. And then they pop the door, and she's that's, next to the door. <laughs> that's the So you're strapped part. up now. Mm-hmm. They pop the door. Mm-hmm. And you're 10,000 feet up. <laughs> you're 10,000 feet up. Okay, so what, what? Well, he tells you to put your legs over and put your feet on, this, on the foot rest. Outside. Mm-hmm. And he puts his outside of mine. So, like, my feet are here, and his are on either side of mine. And he's sitting behind you at mm-hmm. this point. Okay, and then what? And then I don't have to take the step. He takes it for me. I just, I mean, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this? And he takes the step for so me. So let me understand this. By step, you mean out, out of, of the, the airplane. Okay. You're not touching an airplane anymore. Yeah, yeah. And is it terrifying? Yeah, the first few seconds are terrifying. I mean, all you hear is just wind blowing. You don't, it's beautiful below you, and all you hear is just loud wind. And is he yelling instructions at you? At no, this no, point? no. He's just tapping you and telling you to get in a different position. Because you leave the plane in one position, and then within seconds, you're supposed to be in another position. Yeah, you can't hear. So you do the, so, this thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, then you get into the next position, and then I don't know how many seconds later... He pulls the chute, and it's just incredibly quiet. Is the parachute on his back, I mm-hmm. assume? Yes. So you're strapped to him. The parachute's yes. on his back. Yes. Cool. And he's not packing his own chute, by the way. What do you mean? I was always told, I had a friend who skydived in college and was on a team, and he was very meticulous about packing your own chute, right? You want to make sure that whatever you're depending your life on, you pack. You know how it's done. Well, those two instructors aren't packing their own chutes. They actually have a third person who looked like he was about 17 years old on the ground (laughs) packing their chutes for them. And so that was weird for me to see that based upon the things that I had heard. That's a lot of trust. A lot of trust. A lot of trust, yeah. So, you know, you were asking Terry what it was like. 
Luckily, you'll never see the video of me jumping out because I am screaming the entire time, and my mouth is flying open, and I got wind, and it's like, I, it's your terminal velocity. Did you know that? I did know that. I don't know what that means, but I did I'm know that. screaming my head off. So you see Terry go out the plane. Uh-huh. And I'm looking to make sure she's okay. <laughs> kind of. Okay. <laughs> So then you get over to the edge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's not like I am able to do it on my own because this guy is already strapped to you and he's kind of pushing you towards the door and pushing you towards the opening and you're just kind of following along a little bit because you're right in front of him. Are you numb, your heart racing, or what's going on? Your heart is going incredibly fast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it didn't hit me until we were out on the step and I was looking down and you're seeing 10,000 feet below you and all the wind rushing, and it's this unbelievable sight. And I'm doing this at the door, and he's doing this to me. You know, don't look down. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And so he pushes you out. Yeah, you're out. You're out. You're out. I'm screaming. And the chute comes open. Mm -hmm. So now you're like this. The chute comes open, and it goes quiet. Dead quiet. Dead quiet. You don't hear anything. So now you can talk to this guy. Mm-hmm. And, and I got- get to take my goggles off because I don't wear contacts. So it's really cool. Everything's really clear. And now it's just beauty and floating. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. So you float down and land. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like walking down a step. They have so much control over those parachutes. It's not even funny. I, you know, I thought, oh, they have to teach us how to run to stop or whatever. And they're just like, no, just put your feet up and we'll stop. And they just land and it's done. Okay, I got to tell you this. We're going down and he's, uh, the chute's open. He's uh, pulling one side of the, the cord and we're going in circles, you know, and I'm telling him to stop because I'm going to, you know, lose it. And then he goes, you know, you, are you like too snug? Are you too tight next to me? And I'm going, I'm fine. <laughs> and he goes, I'll tell you what, let me loosen the strap a little bit. So he reaches down and loosens the strap that's holding me up. And I'm, I, I move down like a few inches. Like I literally drop a little bit. And it's like, you didn't have to do that. <laughs> it's like, I don't need that additional excitement. You know, like this thing. That was like unreal that you get that little jolt a little bit more, and you're wondering, okay, am I going to stay or am I going to continue to go? But The other interesting thing is once you get in the plane, there's never a question. They never ask, are you right. sure you want to do this? No. The assumption is that you're going to do you're, this. You're done. Done. You, you've got to get it. Made the there, decision. There are no questions after no. that. No. Talk yeah. about being all in. Once you're in the plane, there's no turning back. You've got to go. So you may not know what's going to happen specifically, but you know that uh, you're going out that door <laughs> and you're going to land. Thank you, Tim and Terry. So here is obviously the point of that elaborate discussion. You cannot partially skydive. You can't do it part way. And we've been saying for seven weeks, to be in with God. We noted a couple of weeks ago, remember, we said still, 94% of Americans say they believe in God. To be in with God by definition, is to be all in. You can't do it part way. Let's pray before we leap. Jesus, we ask you to 
Make your presence known this morning. Father, speak to us today. We open our chests and make ourselves available to you. In the strong name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Okay, so in a few minutes, I'm going to have a couple of other skydivers come up and talk to us. Four others to be exact. But before we do, let's survey real quick. So the first six weeks, I mean, I'm sorry, the first four weeks that we talked about being all in, the first four weeks, we talked about giving. And we made seven points. Here's what we said. We said, big picture, we said being all in with God means giving to God-honoring causes. And then we said seven things about that. First, we said giving to God-honoring causes is a sure path to sustainable happiness. That's counterintuitive, but it's the deal. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Giving to God-honoring causes is a sure path to sustainable happiness. Secondly, we said when we give, we're literally more like God. Thirdly, we give because greed is dangerous. Fourth, we said ritualized regular giving strengthens our connection with God. That's why every week we pass one of these little plates around. Next, we said giving frees you from the trap that money sets for you because money does set a trap. Next, we said giving is actually reciprocated. And then finally, we said, therefore, we should give regularly, excessively, intentionally, freely, and cheerfully. All right, then the fifth week, we switched topics. And we said being all in with God really means living on mission. We kind of focused on two things that week. We made the point that had been assumptional for us the whole time that we've been talking about being all in. We said, first of all, to be in with God is to be all in. And then secondly, we said when we live our life, when we live all in, our life is lived on mission. It's not primarily about us. It's about God's mission for us. It's about God's work through us. We're connected. We're involved. We're about something bigger than just us. And then last week we said being all in with God means connecting with others. And here's how we said it. We examined a couple of passages of Scripture and we recognized that being all in with God involves pursuing and maintaining intimate and sometimes demanding connections with other people, especially people who are also all in with God. Let's say that again. Being all in with God involves pursuing and maintaining intimate and sometimes demanding connections with other people especially people who are all in with God. So we want to end this whole all-in journey today by looking at a, an unusual passage of Scripture. I'm going to flash up a one-sentence. Mike, don't show it to him yet, but I'm going to flash up in a minute a one-sentence, if you miss everything else, don't miss this summary of my brief comments this morning. They're going to be based on a couple of interactions that we're going to read this morning that are psychedelic, outstanding from Jesus, a couple of people who come to Jesus and say, hey, I want to be your student. And we're going to hear how Jesus interacts with them. But here's the point, I think, that Jesus and the author of this, the, the guy who's recounting all this for us, Matthew, I think Matthew recognizes this and he intends to make this point. Here's the point he's making. Being all in with God means single-mindedly devoting ourselves to being a follower of Jesus. I'm going to say it again. Being all in with God means single-mindedly devoting ourselves to being a follower of Jesus. All right, so listen to these two interactions. They're recorded for us in Matthew chapter 8. If you have a Bible, would you turn in your Bible or get your phone to Matthew chapter 8? 
verses 18 through 22. I want you to make sure I'm not making this up. This is pretty incredible. And if you would, let's go old school. Stand with me out of reverence for God's Word. Matthew 8, 18 through 22. Listen to these interactions between Jesus and a couple of would-be students. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And look, that's a little thing, but that's noteworthy. Because consistently, Jesus pursues a ministry that's different in both quality and character than the kind of ministry that I would have pursued and many, I think, American churches would and do pursue. Jesus, in fact, spent an awful lot of time and energy avoiding crowds because he wanted to hunker down and focus on those that were closest to him. In other words, those that were really all in. He didn't offer a lot of himself and a lot of his energy and a lot of his wisdom to people who were bystanders and curious. Because Jesus constantly communicated by his preaching and by his example that to be in with God is to be all in. Here's what he says. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Okay, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, by implication, I'm going to follow you too, but Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You may be seated. Now there is no guarantee that these two incidences happened back to back. We don't know that for sure. What we know is that Matthew arranged these two incidences together. He's put them together to make this important and critical point that being all in with God means single-mindedly devoting ourselves to being a follower of Jesus. Now, don't read the first guy's interaction. You know, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Don't read that as rejection by Jesus. I think it's probably a challenge. It might have been a rebuke. It was certainly, if you're going to be all in with me, here's the giddy-up. It's all in you're in effect leaving comfort and stability. You're leaving life as you know it behind. Things are about to change. Because, you know, foxes have holes, birds have nests, you have your life. Well, you're about to change that life completely. The second guy, Jesus issues, I think we can all agree, an even sterner challenge. He sounds almost cold and cruel. I would say read this in the same way that some of you know the passage from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Hill or his Sermon on the Mount, where he says, hey, this business of being rightly connected to God and living the right way is so critically important. If you start to find that your right eye is offending you, get rid of your eye. Because it's better to be able to be fully connected to God now and for eternity than it is to have an eye. If you find that your right hand is leading you astray. Of course, it's not your right hand, but let's say that it is. If you find that your right hand is leading you astray, well, cut your hand off. It's extreme. It's even violent. But it's better to be rightly connected to God and on the right path, both now and for eternity, 
than it is to have a right hand, as absolutely critical as a right hand is. Look, your parents, I want you to, Scripture tells you to honor your parents. But when it comes to your devotion to me, when it comes to being my student, when it comes to being in lockstep with me, then forget about all other attachments. Let let me tell you what our attachment is like, mine and yours. This is Jesus talking to you and I. Let me tell you what our attachment is like, mine and yours. It's like Terry Eagle's attachment to Parachute Man. I call him Parachute Man, first of all, because he's the expert, but not only so, he's got the parachute! And if she has any chance of ending her terminal velocity and landing safely on the ground, she's got to be intimately connected to Parachute Man, following his every order. Let's uh, drop back a few inches, and let's get a kind of a big picture perspective. If you look at kind of the entire New Testament, and you look at what Jesus told his followers and then what his first followers under God's direction walked away with, if you look at what they recorded for us and what we honestly believe is God's Word, if you look at it and kind of survey it, you could come to the conclusion that you could summarize our faith like this. I'm going to give you a summary statement, and then we'll unpack it real quick because it will help us get at this point from another angle. You could summarize our faith like this. Being a Christian means this. Being a Christian means having a real connection with God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ through following Jesus. So let me break that down real quick. First, the essence of it, having a real connection with God. Being a Christian, the essence of being a Christian means having a real connection with God, experiencing a relationship with Him, learning about Him, growing in His abiding presence, living in and by His power working in us. Just to have a real connection. That's the essence of it. Well, then that second phrase, and I gave some color to this to help you pick these phrases apart, that a yellow phrase, that gives us the cause of it, the ground of it. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, we don't have time to talk about that today, of course, but this is kind of the heart of what these first followers would have called the good news or the gospel. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ eliminated all obstacles between us and God. This gives what causes our real connection or, or really what enables the relationship. And then finally, in the yellow, we get the mechanism for it. Through following Jesus Christ, this is how it's accomplished. How do we have this connection? Well, it's through following Jesus Christ. This is how it's maintained. This means being His student, learning the way He lived, the way He prayed, the way He loved, the way He thought, the way He responded, the way He thinks. So, In other words, Jesus is saying to these two guys in Matthew's account, look, I want you to leave all other priorities in the distance and single-mindedly devote yourself to being my followers because not because it's a list you have to check, not not because it's a a should-do, but because that's the way to get your feet safely on the ground. If you want to accomplish this thing, that's the way to do it. If you want to make it from the airplane to the planet again, then the way to do that is to follow me. Let's end by giving you something to think about 
as you leave today, what's the governing principle for your life? What's the primary motivator? If you peel back everything, if you get underneath all of your choices and your decisions and kind of the emotion that led to those choices and decisions and peel that back further, you get down to the core. What's the core? What's the driving force for you? What's the governing principle? Let me give you another way of saying that, an illustration. If your life were a book, what would the title be? We know what some of the chapters would be, but what would the title of the book of your life be? What's the way you think about yourself? The, the goal, the whole big picture. Let me give you a couple of options. Let's say the title of my book is Ed Allen, the Good Person. And I think for some of us that, in fact, is the, the motivating factor, to be a good person. So the chapters of my book would be Ed Allen, the Good Husband. Ed Allen, the good father. Ed Allen, the religious guy, because if I'm going to be a good person, it's important for me to be religious, to be connected to some faith community. Ed Allen, the good worker. I want people to say, that guy's a worker. I mean, you want him in your company. Ed Allen, the good neighbor. Or let's say the title of my book. And this, I think, may be true for some of us, for many of our neighbors in Northern Virginia, the title of my book could be Ed Allen, the Successful Person. Then the chapters might be Ed Allen has a great marriage and a hot wife, which is, of course, true in my case. But you can't be a successful person, can't be a successful guy without a hot wife. Ed Allen has awesome children with whom he's actively involved in who are themselves very successful. Right? That's got to be chapter 2 for Ed Allen, the Successful Person. Ed Allen has a great job. He's rising to the top of his profession and making as much money as he can. Chapter 3. Chapter 4 could very well be Ed Allen is an active part of a faith community. Because if I'm going to be seen as a successful person, it's very appropriate for me to be invested in a faith community. Chapter 5. Ed Allen has all the important accoutrements of success. I mean, he drives the right car. Occasionally he flies first class. And his home, it looks great. How about this as the title of the book of my life? And this is the title of the book of life for many people, Ed Allen, the Progressive Gay Man. Because for some people, their sexual identity is kind of who they are. Or how about this one? This is a good one. This will describe many of us. Ed Allen, the Concerned Conservative. And all of my life, even my spiritual life, kind of results from the driving principle that I'm good American conservative. But to be all in with God, the title of my life has to be Ed Allen, the follower of Jesus who has a real connection with God. That's the governing principle. And the chapters of my life look something like this. Ed Allen has a great marriage and a hot wife, and he's learning to love her the way Jesus would love her. And chapter 2 would be, Ed Allen has awesome children with whom he's actively involved and he's learning to father them the way Jesus would father them. And chapter 3 would be, Ed Allen represents God at his work and displays godly work habits. And then what would follow is chapter 4, Ed Allen makes as much money as he can because he has lots of things that he's giving money away to. And chapter 5 would be, Ed Allen fully devotes himself to prayer and to reflection on the Bible. 
because that's how he really connects to following Jesus. And the last chapter might be Ed Allen gives himself fully in relationships with other people at his church. So I'm going to ask four all-in experts if they would come on up. Christina, Dean, Bill, Vicki, if you guys would come up and take your seat. If we're going to be all-in, then the organizing principle of our lives has got to be I'm a follower of Jesus who has a real connection with God. That's the driving force. Vicki, how you doing? Good. Okay, Bill, how you doing? Good, until you called us experts on something we know we're not. (laughs) Okay, Christina, how you doing? I'm going to echo Bill. Okay, all right. Dean, how you doing? Good for now. Good for now. Okay, all right. So I told you guys, generally speaking, I was going to ask two questions. So let's get practical. I told you two things. I want you to be a real and honest, and I want you to be as practical as you can. And we don't care how confusing or in process it is because the rest of us are as well. So what does it look like and what does it feel like for you to be all in? I know each of you and I know that you've made decisions in your life that are all in kinds of decisions, admirably so, as generally speaking. But there are times when maybe you feel more or less all in or there certainly was a time in your life when you were not all in. So what does it look like, what does it feel like for you to be all in? And I'm, I reserve the right to interrupt you either with a question or cut you off if you go too long. All right, who's first? Ask the question again. So what does it look like, Dean? What does it feel like? Kind of I'm getting at the same thing. For you to be all in, for Dean to be all in, what does that look like? What does that feel like to you to be all in? What's happening inside of Dean when you're all in? I'm a natural introvert. So for me to be all in, I've got to be actively pursuing certain things. I've got to go after spending time with God through prayer, reading the word, but more importantly for me, engaging God's people. So it's a constant push for me. Not, it's not hard, not anymore, but I know that for me I can't sit back and just let myself be who I used to be. I'm going to push into that in a minute. That's good stuff, Dean. All right, who else? What does it look like for Christina, Vicki, Bill to be all in? What does it look like? I think, and when you had asked me this yesterday, I thought about it, and it seems like an oxymoron, but for me it looks like reckless commitment. So not thinking too much about it, not holding back, I think, would be the reckless aspect of it for me. Do you feel that, Christina? Are there ways that you feel like you have held back and now you're not holding back? So for me, it's still in process. Can I talk a little bit about what our small group did? Is that okay? Be brief, but yes. Okay. So our small group recently went through a, a study on community, and it rocked my life. And, and by that, I mean it changed the way that I saw how I was acting and reacting to other people around me. I thought that I was all in but I realized I had these walls up in general in allowing myself to to invest in others, but really just be invested in. So it looks like vulnerability. Good. Yeah, we'll let that go for now. (laughs) Vicki? Okay, what does it feel like? For me right now in this season of my life, it's overwhelmingly joyful. Like I am, I feel like I could burst at any moment, like all the time. 
And that's just a season. You know, I've felt this way before in my life, and then I've felt, you know, depths of despair, and I felt discouraged, and I felt really far away from God. But right now, I'm like, I, I can't get enough. So I can't get enough uh, relationships with all of you, with everyone that I come into contact with. I can't get enough. Um, I'm really hungry for the word, which I can shamefully say I've never felt that way before. And that's, you know, probably been the last, I guess, six months. So what it looks like, something that I used to have all backwards, was, you know, there's an order of things. You put God first, and then, you know, then it's my husband, and then it's my children, and then it's my job, which ironically is my children right now, and my church, and so on and so forth. And I can't on my own do any of those things well. But when I put God first, it really does fall into place, exactly how it says it's supposed to. And, you know, everyone gets enough of me, you know, Christ through me. And I don't know, it just, it's an awesome feeling. And again, I I just, I can't say enough of how, like, well, putting him first, so what does that kind of look like? that's, That's hard, but practically, it's, I don't know if you ever heard of when you um, get up in the morning before you, you put okay, your feet I'm gonna, down. Okay. I'll hold you there. Okay. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. All right, Bill. I find this question really difficult, probably for obvious reasons, but I think for me, it means reckless abandonment. It means pursuing God in such a way that it's pushing me out of my comfort zone. And it's a constant realignment, just realizing that things are off. Uh, just when you think you got it right, God shows you how you don't and just being willing to adjust course you know there's some common themes there to see the common themes it's good stuff so let's hunker down on this for a minute how do you stay there how do you maintain this how do you be all in what does that look like for each of you i know that you have different degrees of being all in different all innesses and you also have different lengths of time that you have been all in. So let's just hear from the different all innesses and the different lengths of time. How do you do it? How? For one of the things that I think has been huge for me over the past several years has been accountability. I meet with a guy almost every week unless uh, one of us is on travel or um, there's some kind of circumstance that keeps us from meeting. And we have 10 questions. And if you know me, uh, having that kind of regimen of 10 questions was not at all attractive in the beginning of our accountability. I wouldn't say that the accountability is necessarily that I could point to two or three clear scriptures on accountability other than uh, I could certainly get there through general principles. But those 10 questions ask things like, who have you shared the gospel with this week? How are you doing in your thought life? Have you lied to anyone? Actually, I like the question. It goes, have you told any half-truths or outright lies? Those questions has forced me every week to really wrestle with some of those tough things of how I'm doing. And I can't tell you the number of times I was about to say something and uh, the pause button gets hit because I realize, oh, I'm going to have to answer a question on this on Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. <laughs> Maintaining definitely through relationships. So staying connected to other people who are working on their walk with God as well. Scripture, sometimes it's really hard for me to find the time, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but, you know, I'm very busy. We're all busy, but with children. And so, like I was saying, when I wake up, I quickly grab my phone, and I'll look at the verse for the day just to get something in right away. And then when I get into the bathroom, I have scriptures up on my mirror that have to do with my marriage. So I recite those, you know, or read them while I'm brushing my teeth. 
And then I have a devotional that I do with my daughter at breakfast time. We don't get it every day, but most of the days of the week we try to do that. You know, and, and so it, it kind of goes like that. And then I have other private times, but they're not always there every day. But doing my best. Vicki, you've had times, you said, where you felt like this, and then other times you've been in the depths of despair. You don't have to be specific, but generally speaking, why now? Do you know? Why now is this time of Vicki feels like she's going to explode with joy? Probably attributed to my small group connections. Definitely the one I'm in now, but also the one before this last one really got me back on track of just being in the Word and being connected to people. And so it's just a, a natural kind of thing that comes from it, from doing it. Okay. Christina? I think it's still something that I'm, I'm trying to figure out and find a balance to, to maintain consistency, because I, I don't know about any of y'all, but maintenance is really hard for me. But the one theme that's been running through the past couple of years for me is maintaining obedience with God. So listening and then applying whatever he's telling me, be it through scripture, through other people. Those are two huge things in terms of my communication with him. How do you listen? Is that a fair question? Mm. No, but I'm going to answer <laughs> it anyway. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think I get it right ever. I think God is kind of the person, well, with me, I get messages from him repeatedly. So I'm like, okay, like I'll, I'll go and I'll have a conversation with Miss Diane and, and God will be saying something through that. And I'll, you know, like I'll think I'm listening, but I'm not. And then I'll go and then pastor, I'll give a sermon and I'm like, oh, okay, well that came up again. Well, I, you know, I think I'm doing it. And then I'll read scripture and God's like berating me with all of these messages. I'm like, okay, I get it. But what am I like, what am I not doing? And so I don't know. I don't, I think it's, I think it's hard to answer that question. Okay. I think Early in my walk, I realized how dysfunctional I was. And as I learned... Spiritually or as a person? In every way possible. (laughs) It was completely against what I thought I knew of myself. But as I read more and more of God's word, it really began to sink in how messed up I was. And it caused me to read more and more of God's word so I could bind myself in. Because I knew if I let myself go, there would be... I'd be going off the cliff. So as I... started studying more and more of the God's word, I started getting more and more impulses to do things that were completely outside of my character. A few years ago, I decided to be a part of another church where the guy who discipled me, he speaks at another church here in the area. And it was a bunch of young guys that I didn't know very well, but I figured I'd get involved. And some of them are dear friends. We've helped them. We've walked through some crazy stuff together. And in the process of doing that, God has really shown me what a life connected to him looks like and how it impacts other lives. And I never really considered myself somebody who was going to be impacting other lives. I mean, as long as I impacted my wife and my kids, that was, that was all that really mattered to me. But now that I've seen what has happened because of God's influence through me to others, I'm not as I once was. That's awesome, Dean. So I know that you've had a habit of, several of you have mentioned the importance of the Bible and this process for you. And you've had a habit of, for many years of being in God's Word. How do you do that? 
It all depends. I mean, sometimes I'm reading through scripture and there's a theme that pops up and I just want to follow it through. And I'm okay to follow the rabbit trails God gives me and I'll go through. I'll learn as much as I possibly can about a specific subject. I'll go into word studies. Like a a subject, for instance, would be? Predestination. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'll I'll change something like that and I'll Uh go after that. Uh Or um, when, back about uh, seven years, eight years ago, there was a topic that challenged me, and I wrote a, a thesis paper about it. And I just did it on my free time. And, and the guy who discipled me, he had access to seminary professors and stuff like that. And as I gave him the paper, I just did it for him to just take a look at it. And unbeknownst to me, he went and gave these things to the seminary professors. And they came back with some very interesting points for me to be able to go back. And they treated me like I was a student of theirs. And I didn't even know he had given it to them. And so it was just things like that. God provides little examples for me like that to be able to go chase after something in the Word and just stay there. Like I said, because I was so dysfunctional, I am still so, so dysfunctional, I find staying in God's Word helps me to stay in track. Anything any of you would add? Being all in? Bill? I would add on Scripture, there's a couple of different things that I think are critical. One is making sure, obviously, that you're in the Word. But that's not enough. If you're in the Word but you're not chewing on the Word, or it's not chewing on you in some way, then you're going through the motions and you're not getting anything out of it. And I would say uh, it's absolutely critical to have those truths, no matter what you're reading or what you're studying, that you allow to just to gnaw at you, to constantly be challenging how you're thinking. An example would be uh, a few days ago I was reading in uh, Jeremiah chapter 45, and you know, I mean, it's talking about judgment that's coming upon Judah. And uh, if, if you've read Jeremiah, uh, it's very easy to read that book and not really know what's going on. And so in chapter 45, though, there's this one rebuke that God gives of um, you pray for all of this stuff. But don't you know, I'm uprooting the entire land and you're praying about stuff. And he goes, you will survive with your lives. But that's your prize. You know, that scripture verse has just really, you know, ricocheted around in my head. And allowing God's word to chew on you when you study it, I think, is, is huge. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Vicki. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Dean. You guys can be seated. Let's give them a hand. That's right. You should clap heartily because next time it might be you. Uh, so we've, we're coming to the end, we're at the end of our All In series. All In with God. Giving to God honoring causes. Living a life on mission. Living a life of intentional, did you hear it? Intentional connections. Just moving beyond myself intentionally. Pursuing others, especially those who are all in with God. You know, we could add a little layer underneath it, couldn't we? Life of recognizing my, Dean's word, dysfunction. God speaks into that as we chew on him. This is how it works, the dialogue between us and God. It's hard sometimes. Of course it was unfair to ask Christina, how do you listen? Because that's the $64,000 question for all of us, isn't it? But it is a question we can never stop asking. It's a question we can't stop pursuing because it means that we make it to the ground safely. 
It means that we get to experience the adventure that our lives were made for and we make it safely to the ground. You cannot jump out of an airplane and successfully make it to the ground without a parachute. In today's world, you know, 25 years ago, I considered a few times skydiving, and in those days, it was different. A little, in my opinion, scarier. You would go in for an all-day training. Some of you have done this. Some of you who began skydiving 30 years ago, you would go in for an all-day training, and they would teach you how to the position of your body. They would teach you how to fold your own airplane. They would teach you everything about skydiving because when you went up in the plane, you would strap the parachute on yourself and you would dive and pull your own ripcord. But the way Tim and Terry did it, I think, is a perfect illustration of our connection with Christ. That way is the way many of us have tried to live our lives. And if the Bible is to be believed, it's not a successful way of living. The way you and I are meant to live is independence, strapped on, fully devoted, not checking boxes, not being a good person, but fully devoted for our lives, dependent on Him to give us direction. Now's the time to hold your head up. Throw your arms back, because if you don't, you'll get hurt. Relax. Lean into me. We're going to hit the ground softly. And when we do, here's what you do. If you and I are to live the adventure that we're meant to live, then we have to be all in. Well, there's another reason. Let's end with this. There's another reason that we've uh, spent the seven weeks talking about being all in. This is a pretty special occasion in the life of our church, our fellowship together. We are about to do what I think may be the most important thing I'll ever do in my life. We are about to build a resource facility that God will use in this area to reach many, many families and boys and girls and students for him. We're about to build a platform that will allow us to project God's love and his grace writ large on a screen that has the capacity to reach this whole region. And you and I get to do that. So now is the time, Gateway, for you to be all in. And all in with God. Remember, being all in with God, we've said being all in with God means I have this community study that rocks me. Well, I have this small I have this small group experience that changes everything for me. I have this accountability group. I have this guy that asks me questions every week and I don't want to lie. You know, I'm an introvert and I'm dysfunctional. And I'm the only one who is brave enough to admit it because these people are too. I'm dysfunctional, and I realize that for me to do this, I got to pursue, I got to lean in. So it's time for us to lean in. If you've been sitting on the sidelines at Gateway, we need you. We've got to tweak, and in some cases, completely reconfigure how we do Gateway over the next year, 2014. 
We've got to tweak, maybe in some cases change our infrastructure. How do we welcome new people as they come in? And then how do we assimilate them? And how do we get them involved so that they can be on the couch saying this? And experiencing where there's so much joy that they're about to explode. Their marriages have been recalibrated. Their trajectory of their lives has changed. We need you. In fact, right after church today, we allow for a kind of first half step for those of you who are interested. We have soup with the pastor. Some of you are beyond that. Some of you need to go ahead and sit through three and a half hours with me on a Saturday and do gateway to gateway and get yourself connected. And then some of you need to find your ministry and own it. Find out what God wants you to do here and own that. I'm still getting an email or two about a message that I did on Labor Day when I talked about work, Labor Day Sunday. And I quoted this church consultant who said he firmly believed that about 20% of the people in a church should do most of the work. Let me repeat that. He believed that about 20% of the people in a church should do most of the work. He believed that another 10% were too new to do much of the work. Another 10% were too dysfunctional to do much of the work. And 60% should devote themselves to their career and their family. And they should make a ton of money so that they can give a ton of money away. Those of you who are in the 60%, (laughs) we need you as well. Because this building is going to be really expensive. And we're going to have to build it. I've had two people tell me this week, hey, Ed, you need to remind us that You know, Gateway believes that God works in the context of community, so we have organized ourselves as a congregational church. That means about the most important matters at Gateway, when we have a business meeting, and we're going to be having them over the next several months, and we'd love for you to come. When we have a business meeting, then some of our elders stand up here and say, the elders are recommending that we build this, all in favor The elders are recommending that we borrow this amount of money to do this and then pay it back this way, all in favor. And we vote because we believe that God speaks among His people. And before we take those votes, we pray about them because we believe that votes can divide and they can create political parties and we will not allow that to happen through this exciting process. But we vote on things. And we need you to be all in because The point of that is we are a congregation. We will build and we will own this building. And we will direct it the way we believe God leads us to direct it. There is no corporate office. There is no denomination that's going to funnel a bunch of money at us. And who will then own the building? It's us. So we're going to do this next great thing that God is calling us to do. And we need every one of you And all of those who are gone for Thanksgiving vacation, send them a text this afternoon and tell them, Gateway, it's time for you and I to be all in with God and with one another. Let's pray.